Welcome to Discovery Church's Sunday Service Podcast. God speaks to us in so many ways, especially in places we do not expect to find Him. Our new sermon series is called Jesus at the Junos, and during this series, we will be finding the fingerprints of God among the best artists honored on June 6, 2021 at the Canadian Juno Music Awards. This song from Tennille Towns, who won the Juno Award for Country Music Album of the Year, sings, When I Meet My Maker, which is a beautiful reminder that we can anticipate the day when we rejoin those who have gone before us into heaven, to run into the arms of Jesus and to have him give us the full perspective of our life. We hope that you are blessed and come back again to hear more in this series. a new series. Well, not beginning. This is the second week into this series. And that series is called Jesus at the Junos. And today we're going to focus on one of the Juno Award winners, Tennille Towns, with her album uh, Lemonade Stand. And the song that we're focusing on today is called When I Meet My Maker. And what we're doing throughout this series is we're trying to find the fingerprints of God in the songs and in through the artists and their stories. And we want to share those with you. And some of these artists are Christians, but most of them aren't. But we believe that God's fingerprints are all over lyrics and songs that deal with our heart and our emotions. And this one today is certainly no exception. So we're going to turn it over to the team to sing uh, Tennille Towns, When I Meet My Maker. Tell me that it's all right. 
I'll tell him how I miss you He'll show me how to watch over From the front row with the perfect view Ask him for some wings He'll introduce me to his angels And the choir I will sing He'll tell me that he's proud And I'm probably gonna cry He'll take my hand And together we will fly Peter chapter 3 verses 10 to 12. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and, and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. And Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 37. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning though as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast then you will be ready to open the door and let him in for the moment he arrives and knocks the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded i tell you the truth he himself will seat them put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat I, I I am amazed at the talent and the incredible skill that we have here in this church. Uh, just give a shout out to Larissa and Sam and Adrian and and Tyler uh, for putting this together today. Not only was the worship beautiful, but that version of the song was just amazing. Thank you to Andrea for reading the scripture. And uh, we're trying to find the fingerprints of God in the music of the Junos that was awarded on June 6th. And if we can't find it here, I don't know where we can. <laughs> this was just a beautiful song. And the, the words to that song were written by Tennille Towns when she lost her grandmother. She was thinking about her great-grandmother uh, after she moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and she was writing this uh, album. And when she was thinking about her, she thought about how uh, her grandmother was such a, a, an integral part of the life of their family. She said this, she was glue to our family. 
literally a human version of a teddy bear. She just loved everybody and would come to all these shows, rain or shine, and sit in the front row with her lawn chair, drinking her cheap Canadian beer. And then she'd be the first one up in the morning taking care of everybody. And we miss her a lot. So I was just thinking about her. So not only was this song inspired by her great-grandmother, but the day that she went to record this song, her producer, uh, Jay Joyce, used a church as the studio. She said, I walked into Jay's studio, which is an old church, and he moved our little station for the day up until the altar of the church, says Towns. I was wearing my great-grandmother's earrings, and I sat in, the, in this chair, and we just kind of ran through the song. I couldn't help but feel her presence all around that day. That take of us trying out the, and running for it for the first time is exactly the take that you hear top to bottom for the record. So that was a very spiritual and special moment for me to be able to capture some of the raw emotion that is on this recording. What a beautiful way to share the story behind the song. Tennille Towns talks about meeting her grandmother, about meeting Jesus in heaven, the day when I get to heaven. But there's many of you who struggle with the thought of the idea of heaven because you're going through such a terrible time now and you can't imagine that day will come. And for others of you, you're desperate to find that day. But there's one thing that I often struggle with and maybe you do too, is how is God going to fulfill that promise? How is it even possible that heaven awaits us? Well, in 1989, the Armenian earthquake in four minutes managed to devastate an entire nation, killing 30,000 people in one earthquake. Moments after the deadly tremor ceased, a father ran to his son's school and saw that the entire school was flattened. And in his desperation, he remembered these words that he said to his son, no matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. I will always be there with you. And he began to dig. He went to his son's classroom, the closest that he could get to it, and he began to dig. Eight hours he dug. And in that time, other parents came and they were weeping and crying about the fact that their children were already dead. And when he kept digging, they said to him, just give it up. It's been too long. There's no way that they could have survived. And 16 hours he dug. And then 24 hours. And 32 hours he dug. And when he got to 36 hours, he refused to quit. His hands were raw. His energy was depleted. And when 38 hours of digging came, he pulled back a boulder and heard his son's voice. And his son said to him, Dad, it's me. Arman, Arman, he called out to him. And his son said to him, I knew it was going to be you, Dad. I told the other kids not to worry. That if you were alive, you'd save me. And then you'd be able to save them too. Because you promised that no matter what, you would always be there for me. That's such a promise. 
For a child to take that into a crisis situation must have meant that there was something to that promise. A kid just doesn't internalize a, a phrase like that without there having been some way to validate that phrase. For that kid to experience at some point the love of a father that says, I will never be, uh, I will never leave you. No matter what happens, I'm always going to be there for you. He must have repeated it over and over. And that child must have seen the truth of that to be in that crisis and say that there's hope. You know, Tennille Towns talks about hope. This song is about getting to heaven one day. Seeing Jesus running into his arms, believing that there is hope out there for eternity. But beyond that, she sits in this church writing this song, believing that hope exists. That there must have been something that someone said, probably her own grandmother, to prove to her that hope lives. You know, as a Christian, uh, we're going to struggle with this idea of heaven unless we have a sense that God has done something already that we can put in the bank, that we can trust upon, so that when the day comes in the future, when Christ returns or when we get to meet our maker in heaven one day, that we believe that there is a hope, there is hopeful place. Do you believe the promise of heaven? <laughs> Do you believe that you can trust in Jesus' promises to never leave us or forsake us? To trust the promise in John chapter 14 that he's coming back to take you to be where he is. It's got to come from somewhere. We've got to put our hope in some reason why we can say those things. Our scripture from today talks about this idea of hope, about this idea of waiting expectantly for that day to come in First Peter or 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Now, you've, if you're expecting a thief, he's not going to get very much, is he? But if it's unexpected, you're surprised by this fact. The Peter is saying already, hey, you've got to be prepared because you're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. It might be within the next hour. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to be deserving of judgment. Oh my goodness, that day, that terrible day when the Lord returns, when all that is sin and evil in the world will be destroyed. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should be living. There's an expectation that something uh, incredible is going to happen. We're going to be received by God into his kingdom. That we're going to be taken out of this world before it's destroyed. That we're going to live forever in heaven and see the people that we love and enjoy our time with God forever. Even as, as Tennille says, we're going to join the choir. It doesn't matter how badly you sing here on earth. But judgment awaits the rest of the world. Verse 12 says, looking forward to the day of God 
and hurrying it along. That word looking forward is, is uh, also repeated in the second passage that I had uh, Andrea read about being ready for the Lord's coming. Jesus is telling a metaphor, a parable, so to speak, of, of a uh, landowner or someone who's uh, got, having a banquet. He owns the property and his servants are waiting expectantly. They're being, pre- but they're prepared waiting. They have lamps. They're ready for when the bridegroom comes. The Bible says here in verse 37, the servants who are ready and waiting for this return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit. The image, the metaphor is that they're going to be waiting for heaven. They're waiting for the day, but they're ready for the, in the waiting. And when Jesus comes again, he's not going to make us prepare his feast. He's already got it ready for us. And he will serve it to us. That Greek word in both passages, the, f- the main part of the word is waiting, but the front part of that word is forward. So in essence, you could say that we're forward waiting or waiting forwardly. <laughs> or maybe we're just patiently vigilant or calmly expectant. We've got our eyes open, our arms extended. We're waiting, but we're ready to go. It's like Simeon, uh, when Jesus was brought to the temple for the first time when he was a baby. Simeon was an old man they called a prophet and he was expecting the Lord to come because God told him that before you die, you will see the Messiah. That same word is listed there where it says that he was waiting patiently for the Messiah to come. See, I think that you and I are stuck between the now and the yet to come. But Tennille Towns understood this. She said, my grandmother's gone. I'm going to meet her someday, but I'm waiting in the now between what's here and what's to come. What are you doing with the life that God has given you in the in-between? The posture of the servants is interesting to note. They're ready and waiting. We should pay attention to the actions of the master in the story who is going to serve us when we get there. But he's also interested in whether or not you're ready. The Apostle Peter uh, urges us to do the same thing. He tells them that they should be looking forward to the day of God that will come. Hope in the future is not a license for irresponsibility today. Let's wait forwardly. You know, for most of us, waiting's a problem. We have a hard time waiting around. Waiting around and doing nothing, especially. You know, we can't even go to the bathroom without doing something on our phones. Somebody once said to me, that's the time that you check uh, Instagram, isn't it? We can't wait. We have a hard time just pausing long enough. The Bible isn't concerned necessarily about the problem of waiting. The, The problem, more importantly, is that we're not ready when the time comes. Then we may have to wait between this life and the next when the day comes when God is going to call you home or the day comes when Christ returns again. But are you ready in those moments? For those of us who are strong and waiting and weak and watching, 
The Lord was speaking to you when he said this from Matthew chapter 24. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows when Jesus will return. Jesus doesn't even know. In verse 42, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, you also must be ready all the time for the son of man will come when least expected. So where does this hope for eternity come from? I want you to imagine, a, I want you to imagine with me um, being part of the Bible story. I want you to imagine with me the day that Jesus died. Put yourself in this position for a few minutes. Sit on the floor in the darkness. And that darkness is kind of swallowing up all of the noises. We can't see with our eyes because we can only feel with our hearts because it's dark in this room, this cold and empty place. And we go over to the tomb where Jesus is. Still, cold, stiff. There's no breath in his lungs. There's no neurons firing in his brain. Death has claimed the great trophy. He's not asleep. He's not resting. He's not comatose. He's dead. There's no air in his lungs. There's no feeling in his limbs. His body is stiff and useless. You see, the executioners made sure of that. If he had needed it, if he had struggled with actually dying and was uh, living far too long, they would have broken his legs, but they didn't have to. The sword took care of that. They poked a sword in his side to make sure that he was dead. And when they took him off the cross, they handed him over to Joseph of Arimathea, and to Nicodemus the Pharisee, two rich men in the community. Two men had given their lives to, to follow this Jesus who they thought was the Messiah. They wanted more time with Jesus. And what they got was a time to prepare his body. And they took his body into that tomb, into that cold and dark place. And they prepared it for burial, wrapping linens around his body. They posted a guard at the, at the entrance to the tomb. Someone who had to guard a corpse. Could you imagine? They put a seal on the outside of the tomb so nobody could get in. And for three days, nobody came near that place or opened that door. But then Sunday came. And we as followers of Jesus and the 500 people who saw him walking around and the 3,000 people who saw him appear to the disciples believed that on that Sunday morning, light came from that tomb. The light of God was there. That body was no longer stiff. Those fingers started to move. The breathing started to happen within that body. Neurons started to fire. And Jesus sits up and is alive. He has conquered death. That is the reason for our hope. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul says, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then what you believed in is a fairy tale. 
If that is not true, then everything that you believed in is worth nothing. Sunday arrives. We can trust the fact that there is a heaven out there because Jesus conquered death. We have hope in this great promise that we are going to meet our maker one day. That we are going to be there at the open golden gates. That he's going to welcome us into his home where eternity waits. That I'm going to run into his arms. I'm going to stare into his eyes. The one that I've been seeking. The one that's never left my side. When I meet my maker, we'll walk on heaven's boulevard up above the clouds and in between the stars and I'll ask him all my questions and he'll answer with a smile and I'll tell him how I love him and thank him for my life. Oh, when I meet my maker, I'm going to know it's the right time because he'll have a reason and I'll understand why. Your moment before God is chosen. That day when you will stand before your maker. That moment when either your life has come to an end or Jesus returns. And the question that I have for you is, are you going to go running into the arms of Jesus? Are you going to sheepishly look back at your life and say, God, I'm so sorry. Because I played it as if I was getting a reward but I did nothing to prepare for it. He'll tell me that it's all right. And I'll tell him how much I missed him. He'll show me how to watch over from the front row with a perfect view when I meet my maker. I'm going to ask him for some wings and he'll introduce me to his angels and in the choir I'll sing. And he'll take, he'll tell me that he's proud and I'm probably going to cry. He'll take my hand and together we'll fly when I meet my maker. You know, someday, according to Christ, he is going to set us free from this earthly body. He is going to set us free and we're going to stand before our maker one day. And he's serious about his promise. His promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will come back to get us once again. He knows that someday the world is going to change in the blink of an eye. Lightning's going to flash and it's going to travel from east to west. And in that moment, our bodies will be pushing back the dirt and, and it will break through the surface of the seas. The earth will tremble, the sky will roar. And those who do not know him will shudder. But in that, you and I should not fear. Because you know him. That little boy in Armenia, he heard that father's promise. He knew that his father would never forget him. There was a hope that lived in that promise that that child took to heart. And I'm praying that you receive that kind of hope today, that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. If, that's, if you're not a follower of his today, I pray that you be ready for the day when Christ comes. And for those of us who are left behind, that we do everything possible to be ready for that day, that our children are ready, that our friends and family know Jesus Christ because of our life and our testimony, that we have lived a life worthy of the calling that we have this side of heaven, that we can be 
representatives, sons and daughters of the king who might uh, share the word of God with anyone we come across. Are you ready to meet your maker? Father in heaven, there's so much to prepare for. There's so much to be ready for. There's so many things, Lord, when we get to heaven, we're gonna look back on and say, God, I'm sorry, I I could have done more. I, I need to do more. And if I'm thinking about that day in eternity now, and I think about my life and the days and weeks and months and years yet to come, Lord, would you give me strength and courage to be ready to do all that I can to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Would you give us, the God's people, the courage to be ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share his love and to tell of his promises and bring assurance of hope for the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us in the second of our series called Jesus at the Junos. July 11, we will hear the third in the series and listen to the song Ablaze by Alanis Morissette. She won the Canadian Music Award Juno for Adult Contemporary Album of the Year 2021. We hope you'll join us next week.